Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, The Bothersome Widow. It's based upon the lectionary readings for October 20th, 2019. In this week's gospel reading, Jesus tells a parable about a widow who seeks justice against her oppressor. Day after day, she appeals to a judge who neither fears God nor has respect for people. Day after day, the judge refuses to help her. But she persists, tirelessly bothering the judge until he's sick of her very presence. I will grant her justice, he says to himself, so that she may not wear me out. In the Greek, so that she won't give me a black eye. At the outset, the Gospel writer tells us that Jesus' parable is about the need to pray always and not lose heart. But this is troubling. Are we really supposed to harass God until we wear him down? Is that what prayer is? Bothering a hard-hearted God until he caves? When I receive an answer to prayer, is it only because God is sick to death of hearing my voice and wants me to shut up? Thankfully, the reading anticipates these questions and wards them off. In case we're inclined to think of God as the unjust judge, Jesus explains that the parable works by way of contrast. Unlike the heartless judge in the story, God will quickly grant justice to those who cry out to him. But this explanation raises troubling questions, too, because our lived experiences contradict it. Too often, God does delay, and our most fervent prayers for healing, for justice, for protection, for peace, go unanswered. Too often, our experiences with prayer lead us to experience God very much as the judge, turned away from the urgency of our requests for reasons we can't begin to fathom. So what are we to make of this parable? Well, for starters, I wonder if the story is less about God and more about us. I wonder if it's about the state of our hearts and about the motivations behind our prayers. Maybe what's at stake is not who God is and how God operates in the world, but who we are and why we need so desperately to be people of persistent prayer. I want to consider this possibility from two angles. First, what can we learn if we put ourselves in the place of the widow? The parable begins with an exhortation not to lose heart. What does this mean? What does it look look like to lose heart in our spiritual lives? The words that come to mind are weariness, resignation, numbness, and despair. When I lose heart, I lose my sense of focus and direction. I lose clarity and begin to doubt God's intentions. I get irritable irritable and cynical very quickly. My spiritual GPS goes haywire and all roads lead to nowhere. In contrast, the widow in Jesus' parable is a very picture of purposefulness, precision, aliveness, and clarity. She knows her need, she knows its urgency, and she knows exactly where to go and whom to ask in order to get her need met. If anything, the daily business of getting up, getting dressed, heading over to the judge's home or workplace, banging on his door and talking his ear off until he listens, fortifies her own sense of who she is and what she's about. Like many of the storied widows in the Bible, the widow of Zarephath who feeds a prophet Elijah, Anna, the prophetess who awaits the infant Messiah, 
the generous widow whose might Jesus commends. There is nothing vague or washed out about this bold, plucky woman who drives the apathetic judge nuts with her demands. She lives in technicolor, here and now. Give me justice. I will not shut up until you do. What happens when we pray like the widow? What is prayer for? I could only speak from experience, but I know that when I persist in prayer, really persist with a full heart over a long period of time, something happens to me. My sense of who I am, to whom I belong, what really matters in this life and why, these things mature and solidify. My heart grows stronger. It becomes less fragile and flighty. Once in a long while, it even soars. And sometimes, here's the biggest surprise, these good and substantive things happen even when I don't receive the answer I'm praying for. I don't mean for a moment to suggest that unanswered prayer doesn't take a toll. It does. It hurts and it baffles. Sometimes it breaks my heart. But maybe that's the point of the parable too. The work of prayer is hard. The widow's predicament is not straightforward. She has to make a costly choice every single day. Will I keep asking? Dare I risk humiliation one more time? Do I still believe that my request is worthy of articulation? Can I be patient? Am I still capable of trusting in the possibility of justice? Prayer is finally a great mystery. We can't know. It's not given to us to know why some prayers are answered quickly and many others are not. We can't understand why our earnest pleas for justice or healing or peace hit the wall of God's silence and sometimes remain there for weeks, months, years, or lifetimes. And yet, from the heart of this bewildering mystery, Jesus asks, Will I find faith on the earth? Which is to say, Will I find men and women like the bothersome widow? Will I find such ferocity, such tenacity, such fortitude? The widow's only power in this story is the power of showing up, the power of sheer grit. But the story suggests that this power is not to be taken lightly, which is to say, prayer is not to be taken lightly. We can't always know what gets shaken, transformed, upended, or vindicated simply because we show up again and again in prayer. But there's a second way to read the parable, too. It might seem like a stretch, but I'm offering it anyway because it speaks to where I often find myself in my relationship with God. What if I am not the widow in the parable? What if I am the judge? And God, the pleading, persistent one, is the widow. The widow knocking down my door in the hopes that I will soften my heart and attend to the pain, injustice, and sorrow wounding God's very being. Jesus describes a judge as a man who neither fears God nor has respect for people. Can I honestly say that I never fit this description? Can I honestly profess that I am never indifferent, irritable, closed off, or unsympathetic? Is it really the case that my heart is always open to the pain and brokenness of others? Don't I self-protect? Don't I police my borders quite compulsively? Don't I say, it's not my problem? Someone else will take care of it. Scripture attests to the fact that God not only hears the cries of the helpless, God is in the cries of the helpless. God dwells with the unseen, unheard, unloved, and unwanted. 
God is the wronged widow crying for justice, pleading with me to listen, to care, and to keep my heart open on her behalf. The truth is, the judge lives in me, and if the parable this week has anything to offer, it is that prayer alone will wear down my inner judge. It is through persistent prayer that my heart will soften. It is through persistent prayer that every obstacle I place before God, my fear, my shame, my woundedness, my inattentiveness, will be dismantled. In this sense, prayer is first and foremost for me. Prayer is the fist that breaks down the doors of my own stubborn and sinful resistance. Prayer is what enables the light of God's compassion to illuminate the darkest and most oppressed corners of human life with hope and compassion. Not coincidentally, all of our lectionary readings this week are about persistence. The widow persists in her belief that good things will come to her, even when the odds look wretched. Jacob, wrestling the angel in total darkness, persists until the blessing of a new name and a new future are granted to him. The writer of Second Timothy encourages persistence again and again, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable. And the psalmist reminds himself and us that the reason we can be persistent is because God is. God is our powerful and relentless keeper who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who watches over our comings and goings and guards our nights and days. Our persistence can never be in vain because it is rooted in God's. What all of these readings suggest to me is that God delights in those who dare to strive with him, to contend with him, to wrestle with him. Wrestling, as it turns out, is not a bad or even a scary thing because it's the opposite of apathy, the opposite of resignation. It's even the opposite of loneliness. To fight with God, to show up day after day in prayer, to wrestle with our resistance in the darkest hours of the night, is to stay close, to keep our arms wrapped tight around the one who alone can bless us. Fighting means we haven't walked away. Fighting means we still have skin in the game. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus asks at the end of the parable, will he find faith on the earth? Faith that persists, faith that contends, faith that wrestles. This is the question that matters. Will he find such faith in us? For books this week, Dan reviews The Unwinding of the Miracle, a memoir of life, death, and everything that comes after by Julie Yip Williams. Julie Yip Williams lived an improbable life. Born blind in Vietnam just nine months after the fall of Saigon, her grandmother gave the order for her to be killed when she was eight weeks old. Her ethnic Chinese family fled Vietnam to the U.S. when she was three. Later came Harvard Law School and an improbable marriage. When she was 37, Yip Williams was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic colon cancer. In this brutally candid memoir that she started right after her diagnosis, she writes her way through that experience. Yip Williams has a message for us. Live while you are living. As a ruthless realist, she describes how, in the course of her cancer, she changed from a belligerent warrior who would win her war with the disease to a contemplative philosopher who distrusted the rah-rah-rah nonsense and the cottage industry of denial that exists among some sectors of the cancer community. She explores the full range of her deeply human emotions, fear, rage, depression, helplessness, futility, desperation, delusion, false optimism, and all the ways our culture fears the unwinding of the miracle. This is strong medicine, but for Yip Williams, it was a pathway to acceptance, peace, and meaning 
in a life over which she had little control. For similar first-hand accounts of death and dying, see my reviews of Kate Bowler's Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, Joan Didion's The Year of Magical Thinking, Simon Fitzmaurice's It's Not Yet Dark, a memoir, Atul Gawande's Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End, and Randy Rausch with Jeffrey Zaslow, The Last Lecture. For films this week, Dan reviews Summer in the Forest. After Jean Venier died last May at the age of 90, I discovered this documentary about him and the founding of L'Arc in Trois-Libreau, France. Venier was 87 when this film was made. The movie follows the people who live in the local L'Arc homes and the simple rhythms of their daily lives. Getting dressed, meals, shopping, a walk in the woods, a visit to the doctor, a picnic outing, and their local work projects. In particular, we are introduced to the three founding members of L'Arc back in 1964, Philippe, age 75, Michelle, 75, and Patrick, 65. Today, there are 149 L'Arc communities in 37 countries, including one in Bethlehem that is featured in the film. Venia reminisces about those early years and about what he has learned across the last 50 One of the great things about him is that he never romanticizes the problems of people, their pain, darkness, anguish, and wounds. Whenever we meet a severely handicapped person, says Veneer, they want to ask us just two questions. Do you consider me human? And do you love me? And so they challenge us to a relationship of mutuality. I watched this movie on Amazon Prime. Important note, there is a more recent film about Veneer called John Veneer, Le Sacrement de la Tendresse, although I have not discovered where and how to watch it. Lastly, for poems this week, The Observer by Rainier Maria Rilke. I can tell a storm by the way the trees are whipping compared to when quiet against my trembling windows and I hear from afar things whispering I couldn't bear hearing without a friend or love without a sister close by. There moves the storm, the transforming one, and runs through the woods and through the age, changing it all to look ageless and young. The landscape appears like the verse of a psalm, so earnest, eternal, and strong. How small is what we contend with and fight? How great what contends with us? If only we mirrored the moves of the things and acquiesced to the force of the storm, we too could be ageless and strong. For what we can conquer is only the small, and winning itself turns us into dwarfs, but the everlasting and truly important will never be conquered by us. It is the angel who made himself known to the wrestlers of the Old Testament, for whenever he saw his opponents propose to test their ironclad muscle strength, he touched them like strings of an instrument and played their low-sounding chords. Whoever submits to this angel, whoever refuses to fight the fight, comes out walking straight and great and upright, and the hand, once rigid and hard, shapes around as a gently curved guard. No longer is winning a tempting bait. One's progress is to be conquered instead by the ever-mightier one. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for October 20th, 2019. I'm Debbie Thomas.